Good morning and Happy New Year's Eve. My goodness, y'all okay? All right. My heavens. have to change my game plan here this morning with that reception. If you have your uh, Bible, please open to 1 Peter. Not Luke, correct, not Luke today, 1 Peter. Back um, several months ago, uh, as you know, I, I planned preaching out for, for months in advance, uh, going through whole books of the Bible, and I always come out around Christmas time to do Christmas messages, Mother's Day, Father's Day, things of that nature. And uh, when those times come, I, I put extra time in praying to the Lord to discern uh, what He would have you hear and have me preach for the body of Christ. And it was, I remember telling Angie about it, that it was the, when I, when I say that God speaks to me, okay, I don't mean what a lot of people mean when they say that. I have never heard the audible voice of God in my life, okay? But what I, what I mean when I say that is that God, the Holy Spirit, will run scriptures through my mind or will give me a passage of his word. And that's how I know that that's what he wants me to focus on. And just as vividly as I'm standing here today, he gave me the passage out of Peter, which is a citation out of Isaiah, where it says, the grass withers, you can probably finish it, and the flower falls, but the word of God lasts forever. And that's what he wanted you to hear on Christmas Eve. And then he impressed upon my heart that 1 Peter chapter 1 was what we were to hear today. So if you have your Bible, go there, and we will look at this wonderful, this wonderful exhortation that the Apostle Peter gives us. And I believe that the reason why God led me here is because we probably live in a time where the future is more uncertain than it probably ever has been. Can you amen that? I mean, I, I'm 54, and I've got four kids, and, and uh, I can remember growing up with my family, with my mom and dad, when they were my age, and it just seemed that the outlook about where we were as a nation and world, there, there's always been some form of chaos and disorder, but it just didn't seem to be quite as worrisome and as bleak as it is today. And I try real hard real hard, not to get caught up in all the conspiracy theories that fly through the air. I try real hard not to, to get down in watching the news a whole lot, because brother, I'm going to tell you, that'll get you down. Where I try to stay anchored and focused is in Christ and His Word. Because we know what the future holds for us as believers. Can we amen that? There's no question about that. And what Peter gives us today is what he gave those that he loved when he was alive. And he knew that they were probably struggling with the same wonder and the same difficulties that many of us do today. And so today we hear from the Apostle Peter, a man that that understood struggling with faith, as many of us do today, but also one that believed firmly in Christ and the future hope that we have in Him and His resurrection. 
I really hope that this year, and I say this every year, uh, the Sunday, the transitional Sunday is what I call it between the past year and the future year. I, I really hope that, that one of your New Year's goals is to get more involved and commit yourself more deeply to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his church. You know, there is this mentality that, well, I love Jesus, but I just, I hate the church. Y'all ever heard that? You heard that all your life. Okay, you, you cannot love one and hate the other. The church is Christ. It is his hands and feet in this life. It will never be perfect. There will always be problems that you will, you will never, there won't, I mean, there may be a pastor or two that you've adored in the past, but we're always going to get under your skin, amen? And you're always going to get under ours, Amen. That's the nature of humanity and the nature of this fallen world and trying to live as a Christian together. It's difficult. And it's even more difficult in a world that is fighting against us as believers every step of the way. And so as we go to 1 Peter chapter 1, let us be encouraged by brother, brother Peter. Now, Peter and his brother Andrew, as you remember, hopefully you remember this, if you've spent a lot of time in, in church or uh, you have a Christian that's a friend or just have been exposed to Christianity or the Bible at all, you know that Peter and his brother Andrew ran a commercial fishing business in Galilee and were two of the first men called by Christ to be disciples. And this is in the Gospels. I just chose Matthew 4, just simply put today, just to anchor your mind there. But in Matthew 4, 18 and 20, it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people, or another term we would say, make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Gutsy move, amen? Gutsy move. Peter also would emerge as somewhat of a hot-tempered leader of the group of apostles and was the first one to profess Jesus as the Christ. And we see that in Matthew 16, 15 through 20. Jesus said, but what are you, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, the son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this what? Rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And then finally, the Peter that we like to remember is the Peter from Pentecost. The Peter that, that preached this powerful and bold message that led to the salvation of thousands of people in Jerusalem that day and led to the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. Peter known as the Prince of the Apostles. Well, this letter that, that Peter, Peter wrote to that we know of that are, that are in the Bible, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, uh, First Peter is considered some of, the, some of the best Greek in the New Testament, top, top few letters. Second Peter, not so much, a little bit difficult. Some people believe that maybe Peter had a scribe write First Peter, and maybe Peter by his own hand did Second Peter, which is why it's a little bit more difficult to read. A fisherman writing his own letter, amen. 
But, but this letter was most likely written in the mid-60 A.D. and was written by Peter to encourage the believers to persevere, to persevere under trials and persecution. Now, it's difficult to go back and, and, and recreate exactly what was going on at that time, but we do know at the end of the 60s, the Neronian persecution against Christians began to happen. The great conflagration is what they call it, where it is believed and, and, and written in the history books that Nero set fire to Rome so he could build a new palace for himself. And once the fire was over, Nero blamed Christians for burning Rome. And then a systematic persecution began of Christians. So Peter writes this letter. So join me in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 today. First, we have the salutation. That's the first couple of verses. And it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the, Fa of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And we'll stop there, expound these, then we'll go further in just a few minutes. So first, Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, his Jewish name was Simon or Simeon, and when he made his famous profession of Jesus as the Christ, he named him Petros or Cephas, which means stone or rock, meaning that Christ would build his church on Peter's strong and accurate profession of faith in Jesus as the Christ. That's simple. That's simple. Next, he says, to the elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, the Bible refers to Christians as the elect of God multiple times, which means those that God has saved, which is evident by their reception and belief of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Peter calls them exiles of the dispersion to serve a dual purpose. First, they were literally, many of them were literally Jewish exiles that were no longer in Jerusalem and had been dispersed all over the known world at the time. Second, more inclusively, that is what we are as believers, we are also called exiled because we are exiled here in a fallen world that is not our permanent home, and there is a time coming when the exile will end and God will call us where? Home, praise God Almighty, blessed be Jesus, amen. Then we see a string of names of areas. We see Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. This would have been the order in which this letter would have been circulated to the churches in what is now modern-day Turkey. So the letter would have been taken by courier to Pontus first, then Galatia, and so forth. If you've never heard that terminology throughout the Bible, there are several letters that scholars that know history way better than I do, been studying the Bible way longer than I've been alive, they just know that in that time and in that way, there were certain letters that were so important, they were, there was a body made and then there was a salutation put at the top and then couriers would take them to the churches so that that letter by the apostle's hand would encourage multiple congregations throughout a certain geographical area. Much like we would send out a form letter from me to all of our church to inform them that we are opening the church next weekend. Amen? amen? Okay. Just threw that in there. Amen. Then he says, according to the foreknowledge 
of God the Father. Now, foreknowledge, this is one of those terms that tries to explain in human understanding how God knows us from eternity past. That God foreknew us, it is a very intimate term that describes not only God knowing us from eternity past, but loving us from eternity past and setting a pathway for us from eternity past. And do me a big favor, all of you, do not let yourself get too caught up in the wrangling between predestination and election and free will, you will drive yourself mad and run everyone away from you that loves you. Amen? You just will. It's a fact. I've been there. It's difficult. It is extremely difficult to explain in human terms how election, foreknowledge, and free will operate together within the sovereignty of God, but they absolutely do, and they are absolutely in Scripture, and that's where we leave it. If you want to argue about it, go somewhere else and do it, please. So according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, so the foreknowledge of God the Father, so this is his all-powerful plan that he made before the foundation of the world in eternity past. That is inarguable. That is inarguable that that happened. Inarguable. If that did not happen, he is not God. He's not God. It's his plan. Sanctification of the Spirit. This is the combination and process of the divine activity of your faith in Christ given to you by God that initiated in real time as the Holy Spirit was deposited into your eternal soul and fleshly body. And this process regenerated your mind and soul and sealed you for the day of redemption. Yes. Obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. This is the evidence that you are truly God's. You love Jesus and want to obey him and have been purified by his atoning sacrificial blood. This was a spiritual process that happened in heaven that manifested itself in real time here. Difficult to explain, impossible to explain. That is mind-blowing and beyond our ability to comprehend in fullness in this life. I love how the Apostle Paul said this. He said, now we see dimly, but then we shall see clearly and face-to-face. So any questions you got circling around in your mind that drive you crazy down here, don't you worry. When you go up there, you're going to see it perfectly. Amen? Just have faith. Live by faith and not sight here. It's much easier. Much easier. Much easier. Then he says, my grace and peace be multiplied to you. And this became a Christian greeting in the first century that seems to have been standardized by the apostles. So that's the salutation. That's a pretty theologically deep salutation. Can you amen that? That's pretty, pretty, pretty good for a fisherman from Galilee. Give me a witness. Thank you, God, for knocking that light out. I appreciate that so much. So verse 3. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, exclamation point. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I just cannot believe a commercial fisherman talks like that. Amen? That's, what, that's, what, that's the power of God. That's what God's power in your life can do. He turn you into a theologian. Amen? From a fisherman, a, a poor fisherman in Galilee, to the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Powerful, untrained, unschooled men, but somehow the power of Christ pumping through their veins. Incredible. So what is he saying? What is Peter saying in these first five verses? These first few verses, excuse me, three, three, verses three through five. What he's saying is, is this. Our future, our future as believers in Christ is indestructible. Indestructible. There are not many things in this life that are indestructible. Even things that people say are indestructible, are they really indestructible? No. Like, like, like a Sharpie pen. You know, they say a Sharpie pen can't, is, like, is permanent, right? I, I can get a, a magic, Angie's got that magic eraser thing. She can get that magic eraser thing and just wipe that, wipe that right off. It's not permanent. But in Christ, in Christ, our future is indestructible. So he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that sounds like the heart of a man that understands who he is and who God is. That sounds like a man that was reinstated by the Son of God, and Peter explodes in doxology right after his salutation. He says, according to his great mercy, and I know, Christian, I hope you do. I, I mean, all of us, if you are a Christian, there is one word that you should love and adore, and that word is mercy. I mean, that word, I love that word because I was a receiver of God's mercy through Jesus Christ and his forgiveness. I can remember when that day came. I can remember when that day came when I received God's mercy. It, it was like a 10,000 pound weight of guilt was my shoulders and I was given this completely new life. It wasn't a perfect life, but it was a new life. And I had, I had decades of wreckage that I was gonna have to deal with and try to sort out. But God had mercy and made me, fr made me free. Yeah, right when I said mercy, it came back on. Did y'all notice that? <laughs> Micah, you better not have done that on purpose. But I absolutely love that word mercy. All Christians should be familiar with mercy because all of us have been shown divine mercy in Jesus Christ. No one on earth, my friends, no one on earth should be more merciful than us. No one should be more merciful than us. We understand the struggle with sin and carnality. We understand how hard it is to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel in this fallen world. And it's not just mercy. There's an adjective there. What kind of mercy is it? Great. Great mercy. The kind of mercy that involves the cross of Calvary. The kind of mercy that involves the death of God's Son. That type of mercy. Incredible. I mean, we all deserve death and hell. Just let that marinate for a second. But God, because of his mercy in Christ Jesus, has provided a way for us to escape it and be reunited to him. The Bible says next, Peter says, he has caused us to be born again. Notice 
Notice the instrumentation. He has caused us to be born again. That is how the conversation should always start, what he has done. Not what I have done, but what he has done. He is God. He is the one where it all originates. It begins with him and it ends with him. And let me tell you something else. The problem ain't God. The problem ain't him. The problem is staring at you from the pulpit this morning. Amen? And the problem is staring at me from the assembly this morning. We, we are the problem. God's not the problem. God's great. God's merciful. God's perfect. We can't be born again by ourselves. God has to do it. John told us this, but to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of who? God. Our future in Christ is indestructible. Indestructible. Say that in your sleep. My future in Christ is indestructible. My future in Christ is indestructible. Why did we have to be born again? We were dead in trespasses and sins. Even though we were, and this is the most confusing thing, okay? But it, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is theology. Even though we're walking around alive, breathing, talking, eating, drinking, driving, going to work, developing relationships, even though we're walking around, the scripture says we are spiritually what? Dead dead. We had to be born again. As we have been told multiple times, the sin of our ancestors brought a permanent death sentence on all humanity. Therefore, God had to provide a way for it to be reversed. We have a physical birth, and if we have believed in Jesus Christ, we have experienced a second spiritual birth. It's amazing. He caused us to be born again. Peter says, next to a living hope, I love that. I love that. I love Peter. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So hope lives. Do you have hope this morning? I hope you do. I hope you do. I really hope you do. And I know sometimes life gets hard. And you might go through a little valley of hopelessness. But I hope you always, Christian, I hope you always come back to the living hope of the Lord Jesus Christ to know that he's there. I really hope that you realize that. I mean, I have to really stay focused on Christ and the hope we have in him because this world can be downright depressing. I mean, I turned on the TV the other day and see that now Ukraine and Russia are going at it again worse than they've gone at it for months. People being killed everywhere. I turn on the TV and I see Israel and I see Gaza. Still, still people dying by the hundreds and the thousands. I see people killing people in the streets. I see these smash and grab crimes going on everywhere. It's just, it's, it's, it's crazy stuff. It's crazy stuff. The presidential election is starting to drive me crazy. I mean, I, I just, if we could burn it all down and start over, I would, but we can't. We got to deal with what we got. But it drives me crazy. Then we had a sudden tragic death this past week. It just never stops. It's constant difficulty in this life. But we have the living hope of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. 
That's why you don't stay absorbed in that other stuff. If you stay absorbed in that, you're going to be depressed. You're going to, call vic- you're, going to be, you're, going, you're going to fall victim to every wind of doctrine and scheme of man. You need to stay anchored in Jesus Christ and his rec- resurrection and your indestructible future in him. That, that's what 2024 needs to be about. All about. In my opinion, all about. We have the living hope in Christ through his resurrection. You see, God has has done something in Jesus for us that could not be done by anyone else. And that's, that's, you really need to understand that. You really need to understand that because there's a lot of people out there lying about that, man. They tell you that there's solutions and answers and other places and all this kind of stuff. And the fact of the matter is, is that there's not. The answer is in Jesus. It's in him and his word and your submission and your obedience to him in your life and trying to mortify sin in your life and walk, walk a, a faithful walk with Jesus. That, that, that's, where, that's where the living hope is. That's where happiness is. I mean, it's not always going to be perfect. You're going to go through trials and tribulations just like Peter is talking about here. But God is always with you in them. Always. Even if it ends in your death. We don't want to talk about that. But even if it ends in your death, he is still there with you, paving the way straight to reuniting with the Father, which is where we're all going anyway, amen? <laughs> come, come, Lord Jesus, right now, right now in this worship service, Lord, come back right now. Take us all right now. Verse 4, to an inheritance, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He's talking about the second coming there at the end of verse five. So the inheritance that God, God has used that term. If you have spent any amount of time in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, that term is used all the time to speak, number one, of, of earth, like the earthly, the earthly land promises. That was an inheritance. But beyond that, Beyond that, God has always pointed to an eternal reality that was beyond this world. Always. Throughout Scripture, there was always the eternal reality embedded in the promises of God, just like there is an eternal reality in salvation. Yes, we are saved here and now. Yes, there is blessing here and now. But this time and this blessing, thank God Almighty, is just the beginning. Just the beginning. Salvation takes us beyond this world into the one to come. And most of the time when we think of inheritance as something that is passed down from one generation to another, and that meeting is most definitely applicable here, most definitely applicable here, that is what you saw in the patriarchs. You saw the model of passing from one generation to the next to be sure that your family knew God. It was the most important thing you could pass on to them because it was the one and only thing that has eternal value, period period. And let me tell you what, I know firsthand about that. I still got two storage shed at my house packed up with stuff from two, from two estates that settled six years ago, and I can't find time to go through all that stuff. That's all it is. It's stuff. I can't give it away. I think it's worth something. Nobody else does but me, amen? But I know somebody's going to come along, and I'm going to get my retirement out of those storage bins, right? No, 
No, Angie's shaking her head, no, it ain't happening, honey. Eternal value, the inheritance of the kingdom of God is what he's talking about. And he describes it imperishable, undefiled, unfading. That is the description of your future in Christ, imperishable. How many of y'all got bananas at the house right now? What do they look like? Nasty, black spots all over them, but you just feel guilty about throwing them away, amen? You know what I mean? But they're perishable. Apples, apples last a little longer, a little longer, but they're perishable. But your salvation in Christ is imperishable. It never wears out. It never passes away. It just passes on to eternity. Imperishable, undefiled, that that just basically means ritually untainted, free from stain or blemish according to worship regulations. I I like like the term moral purity, undefiled. See, you don't have that down here. You don't have that down here at all. In in fact, hospitals try try to be the most sterile environment on, the, on earth, but yet, what do people get at hospitals all the time? Staph infection. So even though they use the most powerful chemicals on earth to try to have the most sterile environment on earth, the most, one of the most deadly infections that you can get at a hospital is staph. There ain't no place on this earth that's pure. But guess where it is pure? Ain't going to be none of that up there, amen? None of it at all. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. I mean, I think unfading. My, my, mind, my mind goes directly to, 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 to blue jeans and these blue jean manufacturers making millions of dollars off stonewashing blue jeans. Back when I grew up, blue jeans were blue, amen? I, I, I mean, you wanted, you wanted dark blue, good-looking, unfaded, no patches, no fraying, hemmed properly, blue jeans. That's not the way it is now. I mean, I, I see some women walking around with blue jeans, and I strike up conversation with them and say, hey, you know what? You can wear those jeans to church. You know why? Because they're holy, amen? <laughs> and, of course, they laugh, and I laugh, but it, and it's okay. Don't get me wrong. I'm not come, trying to come down on the fashion trend. But things in this world fade and wear out. Your pants, if you wear them enough and wash them enough and use them enough, they're going to fade and wear out. Your favorite shirt, if you wear it enough, except North Face, amen, if you wear it enough, it's going to wear out. But the one thing that never wears out and never fades is your future in Jesus Christ and the hope you have. Never. Never. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that doesn't fade. So it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, unfading. Peter is using Isaiah later, later in Peter's letter, he will, the, the passage that God led me to that led me on this direction, the grass withers and the flower falls, or you could say fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. 
forever. Watch my time here. Okay, I'm good. So where is this inheritance, my brothers and sisters? What, is it, what does Peter say the inheritance is? Mm-hmm. Verse, we do expositional preaching here, which means start in chapter 1, verse 1, and you, you go right down through the text. You don't, you don't ignore any words. You study every word because every word came from the mouth of God. Therefore, we have to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So every word has meaning. So we don't skirt it. We, 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 we go at it. We try to understand it. We try to rightly divide it and understand what God's trying to tell us. So where's the inheritance? And those of you that have been coming to Wednesday night Bible study, you'll know this reference. Is it in the hill called Cumorah? Yeah. No, it's not. It's in heaven where it's kept for you. It's definitely not here. Everything about this place is passing away. We can look in the mirror and see that. We can go to a cemetery and we quickly realize that all of us have a term limit. Right? A start date and an end date. Some are longer than others. Some are shorter than others. But there's a beginning and an end. Now, spiritually, we live forever somewhere. But in the flesh, there's a start date and an end date. No question about it. Kept in heaven for you. The inheritance is kept in heaven for us. In the abode of God. Now, I threw this in here for you. I don't think I've preached about this or mentioned this lately. And this is probably one of the most interesting things that you'll find in the Bible. But Paul in 2 Corinthians talked about, I, I, I believe... Scholars are divided as to when this happened. Most people believe it either happened when he was saved or when he was stoned to death and everybody thought he was dead and he wasn't. He was unconscious for a while. I can't remember what city that was. And they think that either one of those places that, that whether bodily or in spirit, he was caught up to the third heaven. And when he was caught up to the third heaven, he heard things that were inexpressible to man. We don't know. He didn't come back and tell us. That ought to tell us something. Amen? That ought to tell us something that didn't tell us what, they, what, what was said up there. Maybe we're not supposed to know till we get there. Maybe there's certain things we're not supposed to know till we get there. I think that's what Paul was trying to say. But the interesting part is he says the third heaven. Now, when you hear that, it's like, what does that mean? The way the ancients viewed the world, and this is fascinating. The first heaven was from the ground of the earth to the what? Blue sky. The second heaven was beyond earth's atmosphere to visible space or where the stars were. The third heaven was the abode of God which was beyond all of that. That is where your salvation, according to Peter in the Bible and the word of God, that is where it's kept. That ought to blow your mind. So you mean it's not right here? I mean, the Spirit's in there. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. But your salvation, by Peter's own words, so if you want to argue about it, argue with Peter, not me. He says it's kept where? Yeah. Heaven. The third heaven. Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, he's talking about himself in third person. And I know this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. So is our inheritance safe? Say, oh, yes. Say that. Oh, yes. Yes, it's safe. 
Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That means the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ or when you die, one of the two. Our future in Christ is indestructible. All right, just a few more verses, then we'll be done. Verse 6, beginning there. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So your future in Christ is indestructible, but we're not there yet, are we? Are we there yet? It's been initiated. And that's what drives us crazy, okay? That's what drives us crazy. And, and scholars figured this out a long time ago. It has already initiated, but it's not yet complete. That's what the Corinthians had such a hard time with. The Corinthians had what most scholars believe, an over-realized eschatology that the blessings of Christ at the second coming, we were already experiencing the fullness of that. That is not true. We are not experiencing the I hope to the Lord Jesus we're not experiencing that right now because you don't want to know about my experiences, Amen. I hope some of the stuff I've gone through doesn't happen in heaven because according to the Bible, it's not going to. It's going to be great. So we can endure hardship with joy in Christ because we have this future understanding of our indestructible status with God. We can endure hardship with joy in Christ in this life. And those of you that have been through hardship, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, if you're going through hardship right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. In this you rejoice. What, is, what does he mean this? It's an apposition. Learn that term in, in grammar. This, in this you rejoice. Being born. Being born again to a living hope. That's what the this is. In Christ, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, inheritance kept in heaven. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Grieved by various trials. Notice that Peter does not specify what the trials are. Did you notice that? That means they could be anything. As long, as long as it's not, as Peter would say in another letter, as long as you're not suffering because you're a thief or because you're a liar or because you've done some sin, but if you're suffering because you're a believer, you need to take joy in that because God uses that to, 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 to can I talk? To perfect your faith. But, 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 I don't know what all that was. I don't speak in tongues, I promise you. He doesn't specify what the trials are. Of course, we live in a fallen, evil world that we cannot control. Our family over Christmas had one of these trials. I infected my whole family with the flu, yes. Me and that. Now, I know that most trials, most of what he's talking about is persecution for being a Christian, but living in this fallen world has a whole bunch of other sets of trials that we have to go through. And, and I'm going to tell you, for our whole family to be sick over Christmas and for like two weeks, I mean, food, laundry, presents, it, it, it was nuts. 
it was crazy. That was a trial. So trials, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Paul spoke of trials of illness multiple times. Illness will stop you in your tracks. 21st century trials are probably not quite as bad as what the exiles and the dispersion were experiencing, but they are still trials. Have you been betrayed by someone that was a friend? What about a family member? Economic trials, emotional trials, family trials, work trials. Peter says, grieved by various trials just for a little while if necessary. So he means these trials may or may not happen. You may go years without a trial, and if that's the case, praise God. But most likely you will have them regularly that differ in scope and severity. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, and so on. Now I'm going to tell you what I think is going on here. And this is, we're, we're just about done. So if you're watching the clock, you're about to be free. Amen? I believe... We are seeing a window into Peter's heart. He is showing that there is a purpose behind the trial. It's interesting to hear him talk like this. I believe that he is speaking from experience. Because if you remember, the genuineness of Peter's faith had been harshly, harshly tested. Do you remember what happened? Harshly tested. And he knew firsthand what it was like. And I can promise you he didn't want anyone else to go through what he experienced. Luke 22, 31, 34. We hadn't got there in Luke yet, but we will. This is Jesus talking. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And this is what gets you. Jesus talking to Peter, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Right? I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. Peter had failed the trial and his heart was exposed, but in the end, as we all know, Peter repented of his failure and was reinstated by Jesus after his resurrection to be the prince of the apostles. So Peter's point as he speaks to us about the living hope and the resurrected Christ is that one day he will return, and when he returns, we want to be found genuine in faith genuine in faith, so that it results in praise and glory. And then he gives us these last couple of verses that is just the jewel on top of these verses. Though, Peter says, you have not seen him, you love him. And he's talking to us, amen? He's talking to us now. He saw him, Peter saw him, Peter walked with him. Peter, Peter, Peter was with him, his, you know, his whole time he was on earth. So he's writing to us. He's writing to those that came later, after Jesus was ascended into heaven. He's writing to us. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, when he says souls there... As a Jewish fisherman, he doesn't mean just the invisible part of you inside your body. He means your whole person. 
means your whole person. If there's one mistake we've made in the evangelical world over the past 50, 60 years is using that term too much, saving souls, saving souls, saving souls. You're saving the whole body, right? It just so happens right now when you die and you're buried, your soul in there, it, 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 it leaves your body and goes to be with Jesus. But at the second coming, when your spirit comes back with Jesus, what happens to that, to that empty hull of a body that's here on earth? It is raised from the dead, reunited with your spirit, and Paul says in the blink of an eye, translated to a body just like the resurrected Christ had. So it's not just saving the soul. It's saving the whole person, the whole body. <laughs> Amen? Amen. So our future in Christ is indestructible, and we can endure hardship with joy in Christ. And happy new year. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the time we've had today. And Lord, I thank you for putting in my heart this message from the Apostle Peter. I love him. I can so relate to him and his spontaneity and Oh, just his aggressiveness sometimes and then realizing he's wrong. And he's just a, great, uh, just a great study for some of us who follow in his ways many times. And so, Father, I thank you uh, for saving him. I thank you for calling him. I thank you for putting the truth in his heart and mind and so he could write about you and that we would learn about you and we could follow you and do the best job we can in this life to be faithful to you. And, Father, I pray you help anyone here today, Lord, that is hurting, that is in doubt about the future, about what's going on, Lord, help them know that if they are in you, if they are born again by your spirit, their future is indestructible in you, and that they can endure hardship in the joy of Jesus. And we ask all this in his name. Amen.